Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. You know, just thinking about what Micah shared, Lord, we are just grumbling children so often in our life, uh, failing to see your hand at work, how you are blessing us and refining us through suffering. Uh, Lord, how you use all of our lives, every aspect of it, uh, to turn us into beautiful things. Uh, Lord, we are eager for the day when you come back and all truth will be revealed and the ugliness will, will finally be gone. Uh, Lord, help us, though, as we wait for that day to have strength. Lord, strengthen us with your love, knowing that you have reconciled all things and that you hold all things together and are working all things according to your plan and for our good. Uh, Lord, Open our hearts and our minds to your word here this morning. Help us to be faithful to your text. Uh, Lord, we love you and we want you to continue to teach us. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. It, nice kind of small, intimate Sunday to close out our time together in, uh, in Jefferson. It's kind of surreal to think next week we will be in a new site all together, combined as one, one big church family which is uh, exciting. I hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, it's going to be really fun to have my family in the same spot that I'm in every Sunday. That'll be great. Uh, to have uh, all of the house churches together, to be able to worship together, all of these things. It's, it's, it is a really exciting time. So today we wrap up and we close out our series here out of the book of Daniel. Uh, so if you, have a, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to chapter 12. We're going to be going over these last final parts of Daniel. And as we do so, I just want to, you know, kind of remind us of the story of Daniel so far, which, you know, is fairly familiar to you. And I, most people know the story of Daniel, but really the story of Daniel. And hopefully this has kind of come through as you read the book. Daniel is really the story of Israel, which is really the story of us. I mean, the things that happen to him is what's happening to the nation, which is happening to us. This promise of life, this promise of glory, this promise of everything, right? When you think of Daniel's life, who he was, I mean, promised royalty. He was in line to be the king or a prince. I mean, a very high power. Israel has promised by God at the very beginning, you are my people who are destined to have everything. You will have a place. You will have the whole world will be yours, right? You will be me and work for me on this earth. I mean, just the the enormous promise that was given to both of them. But then the sin and the suffering and the pain that follows the promise. Right? The promise not realized. Daniel will never realize what he was promised. Israel will never realize what it was promised. And instead deals with centuries of consequences. And then you find Daniel stuck. Right? Stuck in a place that is not his. Homesick for a home that he will never go back to in a land doing things he never thought he would do, right? It wasn't his choice. He didn't choose this job to work for a king that doesn't worship Yahweh, but in fact does the opposite, right? Tries to tear down Yahweh and everything holy. Stuck there, working for this king, working amongst a people that are not his. Waiting. Submissive. And rebellious at the same time, right? We've seen that all the way through the book. You know, where he's quick to love and support and serve, but then also quick to speak the truth and to work against when it's necessary. 
trusting God, knowing the ending of the story. These were these last chapters of Daniel, right? Daniel's prayers and the visions that he gets. He knows the ending of the story. He gets to see that God is eventually going to win. But then today, this kind of final chapter really kind of closes it out for us. And it closes it out with a couple of Daniel's key questions. Right? And how long is this going to go on? How long is Daniel going to be heartbroken? How long is he going to wait in suffering and in the darkness, waiting for Christ, waiting for, the, for this king, waiting for God to intervene and do something? So verse 5, we'll be going through this, uh, this text starting in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days." So we have this very familiar vision from these last couple of chapters, right? Daniel on the banks of the Euphrates looking up and he sees this man beautiful, clothed in linen with the angels with him, right? And this host and people saying in these two very central questions, right? And you, you saw them as, you went, as we went through the text, two very central questions. How long was the first question that was asked, right? How long will it be until all of this is ended? When will this promise be fulfilled, Daniel, right? When, O oh Lord, will Daniel experience the promises fulfilled? When will Israel receive the promise? And then the final question, right, how will it all end? What will it be like when it finishes? How will we know when we've reached the ending of all of this? And so the angel and this man clothed in linen answers, right? He gives answers to the questions, they're not the most satisfying answers right, if you're reading the text, but he gives answers. And that first question, right, how long, how long is Daniel and Israel going to remain broken? How long are they going to have to suffer? How long will they go through this trial? How long will it be? And they're told, right, they're given two answers. The first answer given was a time, a times, and a half a time, which is really clarifying. And then the second one is even more clarifying, right? 1,290 days. 
Now, both of these numbers or both of these things, they're both describing the same period of time, three and a half years, roughly. And what's really symbolic of it, it's not seven years, a complete period of time. We've already had seven years in these visions. And so the, the point that the angel and the man of linen are giving to Daniel is that there, it's a limited time. It's not going to be to a completion. This time of suffering will not be complete. It'll only be for a limited amount of time, a time, a time and a half a time. It could be longer this time, but it won't be longer than it needs to be. Like it could be all the way, but it won't. This time is going to be limited. It's precise. The Lord has a very precise time to all of this. He knows their suffering and it will end. Then he adds that 1,335, just kind of adding, heightening the sense of mystery, right? Like if you can make it 1,290 days, great. But blessed will be the one who makes it a little bit longer. Like, well, how long is it going to be, Lord? Right? And really kind of answering that question again of it's, the Lord knows when this is going to end. And what Daniel has been showing us and what the last few chapters of Daniel have been showing us is just God's view of history and how all of history and this period of time for Israel and for us is going to be a time of judgment and trial, a refining fire. That really got communicated clearly here in chapter 12, that this whole period will be a time of refining, a revealing of who people really are. Right? It says many will purify themselves and many won't. The fire's will consume and burn, right? And many will come out of that fire, beautiful, clothed in white, and many will be revealed for who they truly were. The suffering doesn't produce the gold, but the suffering will reveal it. Now, this promise of suffering and what it's going to produce in us, right? There's a, there's a couple of ways that we could treat it. There's a couple of ways that Israel has treated it. There's a couple of corrective things that God has to speak to his people. And the two errors that we can really make in the face of suffering, which is the errors that Israel is making in the face of their suffering, you can blame the suffering. Right? You look at your life. You look at the trial that you're going through. Because right, I mean, this is the reality. Like I said, the story of Daniel is the story of Israel. It's the story of us. Many of you are in a period of refinement. The fires, the suffering, this life, this asking all the questions and not getting any of the answers. Many of you have gone through that, have already gone through the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Losing everything, going as low as you thought you could possibly go to be built back up. I mean, we all have gone through suffering, are in suffering, or are about to go through suffering. And that's the reality of life. And as we face suffering, we can blame our suffering. We can look at our circumstances and blame them. My life would be so much better if not for my circumstances. If not for this suffering, oh, my life would be so much better. Right? If I had a different job, if I had a different house, if I had a different spouse, I mean, my life, oh, it could be so good if not for, right? I mean, Daniel could be sitting there saying, right, my life, our life would be so much better if not for the Babylonians, if not for them, oh, if not for Belshazzar, oh, what a terrible king he was, right? If not for what our life could be, this is the way of the fool. 
This is the common response to suffering in our world. It's not a new response. Humans have, responding, have been responding to suffering this way ever since we've been on this earth. But you look at your suffering and you blame it and say, my problems in life are because I'm suffering. And if I wasn't suffering, oh, my life would be so much better. The other response that's equally wrong, right, is the response that many religious people take, though, which is to say, okay, fine, I'm not going to blame my suffering. In fact, I'm going to put my hope in my suffering and say, yeah, suffering is good. And if I suffer, and if I suffer really well, the more suffering I incur, oh, the greater the reward will be at the end. So I'm going to endure suffering. I'm going to look for suffering. I will, right, I will purposely suffer so that I will get a greater and greater reward. Right, this is called asceticism. This is right, not just Christians have been guilty of this, but all religious people have been guilty of this. And your religion as well. You see it in just culture with the various diets or, or regiments people go through to beat their bodies, right, to, to get a reward. Like there's suffering is good. I'm going to really, I will suffer better than anyone else. All right, if there's going to be a reward at the end of this trial, well, then I'm just going to dig in, right? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to embrace suffering and seek suffering, knowing that I will be rewarded for my suffering. Neither is true, right? Neither of those responses are true. Both are foolishness. To just reject suffering and try to avoid it your whole life is nonsense, right? And to complain and grumble and blame your suffering is foolishness. But also to put your hope in suffering and to have confidence based on the fact that you are suffering is also foolishness and leads to this, right, comparing your life and saying, oh boy, I don't suffer as much as so-and-so, therefore I need to suffer more. I'll look for some way to suffer. It's a never-ending cycle of how much suffering can you find and how much do you actually have to suffer to really prove yourself? Neither is true. The suffering that we see come out of Daniel, which is the picture of suffering that we see through the Bible, some of it will be very just suffering. Right? Israel is justly suffering. They deserve the suffering that they're encountering. They worshiped other gods. They served other rulers. They didn't follow God. They didn't love him. They deserved the suffering that they received. But then there's also unjust suffering in the book of Daniel and in Scripture. Some suffering is very unjust. Not everyone sinned the way that each generation sinned. Daniel doesn't seem like he did anything wrong. He didn't deserve to be taken away as a teenager from his home and to be imprisoned and put into a different job and a different life, given a new world, it's unjust. But it's just. All of suffering, the suffering that we encounter in our life, much of it is very much deserved because of the choices that we've made. Right? Which many of you have experienced that suffering. Other suffering is a very unjust suffering. It's a suffering that you experience because of a fallen, sinful world and the sins of others have splashed over onto you and you suffer. It's not fair. But the wisdom of Daniel and the wisdom of the Old Testament, the wisdom of all of Scripture, right, and especially here in Daniel 12, 
that suffering, whether it's just or unjust, whatever suffering we go through, it's limited. It's precise and it's known. God knows the suffering that we're going through. He knows the suffering and he has limited that suffering. He is using that suffering and it'll only last as long as God intends it to last. That no suffering is beyond the control and realm of God. Because here's the wisdom of Daniel. He really gives us two big ideas about suffering. Every suffering we face is limited, which is really helpful to know. Right? Whatever suffering I'm going through, it's limited. It will not go its whole course. God is in control of it. He knows it. And the timing of my suffering is known by God, and it's perfect. And it'll end. The other piece to this picture on suffering, it's limited. But the other issue, too, is that we can endure it. That clearly comes out of Daniel. Whatever suffering we go through, it can be endured by the saints. We cry out for it to end. We cry out for God to come, but we trust because we know that he knows and he hears us. He is with us in our suffering and he uses our suffering for our good. So knowing this, we know that God hears our suffering. We know that God is in our suffering. We know that God has limited our suffering. And I know that I can endure that suffering, right? It, it enables the saints to cry out with their hearts to God. Everyone suffers. So what's the response of the saints, right? What's the response of Daniel? What are we called to? Well, how do we respond to suffering? How will the church respond to suffering? How do the saints respond to suffering? And we have options, right? We live in an age where we can distract ourselves in the face of suffering. I know that's a pretty common way to go. Where you're faced with suffering in your life and you say, I'd rather just not look at it. I'd rather not embrace it, so I will distract myself. We medicate ourselves in the face of suffering. Life is hard. I don't want this. I'll medicate myself so I don't feel it. We minimize our suffering. That's a really easy one to do if you grew up in the church. How's life? Oh, it's great. Everything's good. I'm fine. Oh, I can't complain. You can complain, right? You can be honest about your suffering. We make these efforts to minimize our suffering, to make our life sound better than it is so that we don't have to face it. We don't have to call sin, sin. We don't have to own up to our sin or the sins of others. Or we insulate ourselves from suffering to the point where we just can't feel anything. This is the American dream, right? You have a big enough home with a big enough yard in a nice enough neighborhood that you will never have to feel pain. You can have a life in which you will be given enough buffer room from the sufferings of others. So I don't have to know. Or do we feel it? Right, it seems that the calling to God's people, to Daniel, to Israel, to us, to the church, is to feel suffering. It's almost as if God wants us to suffer. He wants us to cry out. He wants us to plead with him, to cry out in faith, to pray together, right? To cry out with the saints, Lord, how long? How long do we have to wait for you? In the face of our suffering, in the face of the suffering of others, 
seems that our response should be to cry together, to weep and to pray, to feel pain, to seek after God, to pray together as a community. I mean, what do we pray for if not for God to come back, right? For the day of the Lord to come, for his kingdom to come to earth, right? For justice to reign on this earth, right? Big prayers, not praying for circumstances to change, not praying for the suffering to end, but to pray for God's glory, for God to use suffering, for God to enter into it and finally bring about his victory, right? But to join in in the pain and the suffering of the saints in the midst of just the injustices of our world, right? You don't have to look far to see injustice everywhere in that question. Everyone's asking that same question, how long? How long is this going to go on? Right? If it's the Philando Castile trial, if it's the church suffering, and it's just how long? How long is this stuff going to happen? How long are we going to wait, Lord? What do we do with that desire? Do we take that into community and to pray and to seek God? Right? Or do we respond in other selfish ways to the suffering? The other central question that they ask is how will it end? Right? That's the other question that we ask in the face of suffering and injustice. We ask how long is this going to go on for? But then we also ask how will it end? And the answer, that's a pretty bad answer, right? I don't know if you caught it. When the saints are broken. It says at the end here, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. That's a terrible answer. All of this is going to end with us being shattered and broken. It's not a really triumphant, I thought it had a happy ending, right? We thought, I thought scripture, I thought the Bible, I thought this all led to a happy ending. And it does, but it comes through weakness and brokenness. This goes against the cultural narrative. This goes against the religious narrative of all other religions as well, right? Where you say, no, power and strength is a good ending. How is this all going to end? With the saints in power, right? With the saints secure and happy and glorious with all of God's people together ruling over the earth, doing God's will. No, right? It's not the way that it ends. It ends in brokenness. It ends in weakness. It won't end when the church comes to power, but when the church is finally broken. That's bad news. Yeah, can't, can, can it be? Right? I mean, if I was, Daniel, it's like, no, wait. Shouldn't the story end with we winning over the world? The church coming to power and experiencing security and influence. It really reveals our hopes. It really reveals our desire for power and for strength. Right? I, I, I don't want to be on a team that is going to get crushed. <laughs> Right? I want to be on that underdog team that right, gets early on in a season, loses games, right? but eventually when the playoffs come, they, you know, it's a Cinderella story. I want to be on that team, not the one that just loses and eventually is just destroyed. That doesn't sound like a team I want to be on. 
And historically, right, we see that struggle. George went through Revelation. I mean, this is going to be the temptation for the church continually, that seduction and allure of power and money. And the church always gets into trouble, right, when it seeks power and security and influence in this world. But God's wisdom, and Daniel's been clearly teaching us what God's plan is. And then the whole, all of Scripture shows us this, right? We see it through the New Testament as well. But God's plan from before the world began, right, was to reveal his power through a very broken and sinful church. That the church would do great things. The church would reveal who Christ is that the church would be made beautiful and glorious, but not through our strength, but through our brokenness. So that God would reveal his strength and his power, taking something, right? Taking a group of people, right? Who to the eyes of the world look like nothing, look like they have no power, no influence, no security, and revealing them Right? That's what the end of the story is, this great revealing of who you thought was losing, who you thought was crushed, actually is the winner, is the victory, that glory comes through suffering. Power comes through weakness. That God will reveal this to the heavenly places. Right? It's this, what can't God do if God is going to use the church to reveal his power? Wow. Right? What can't he do if he can use broken and hopeless and sinful people like us to reveal his strength. That God is going to use suffering to show glory. That the path to glory is the path of the cross. Right? The way to God is the way of brokenness. All, it, it, it's, it runs against everything. Right? It runs against everything that we want to put our hope in. It runs against that narrative of if I follow this, if I believe in this, I will get stronger Right, I will be better. Right, being a Christian will make me stronger and better and happier and a better life and a blessed life and all these things. And the Bible says, no, you will be broken. And for many of you, your life, you've already experienced that brokenness and life comes from it. How much more will it be right, on that day? But how can we trust this how can we trust this to be true? How can I believe that this is actually good news, right? I mean, if anybody just kind of told you that message, right? If there's a teacher out on the street saying, if you just go through enough suffering, if you, look, you're going to suffer and you're going to be broken and at the end it's all going to work out. Right? <laughs> well, thanks. I, I think I'm going to try it the other way, right? But, but we have evidence of this. Like, how do we have hope to this? How do I know that this is in fact true? How can I trust it? I can believe that the path of suffering and brokenness leads to glory because God was broken. Right, this is weird to Daniel. Right, Daniel hopes this is true, but you can feel his anxiety. You feel the anxiety through the prophets and through the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. There's a lot of unresolved issues through the Old Testament if you haven't read it. Right? I mean, you've got this idea that, right, I mean, everything is going to be made new, but then there's all this suffering for sin. You're like, well, how is God going to ever fulfill this? How is this going to happen? How can he guarantee us a happy ending? How can he guarantee that suffering will lead to glory? 
because he suffered, because he was broken, he can guarantee to us that the saints will be raised up after they're being broken because he was. It's not just a promise that he gives us here in Daniel. It's a historical event that actually happened. Jesus is the picture of suffering and of brokenness. This is our image. This is our historical fact that we rest on, that we take hope in. We've seen it. God's promise of life coming through death, of hope coming through suffering, we know it's true because we've seen it. Christ was broken for us. Think of his death. His death, he died with a whimper. It was not a triumphant ending. He didn't die the death of a strong martyr, right? Any of the saints. He didn't die. Peter died a better death than he did. Paul died a better death than Jesus did. Jesus couldn't carry his cross. He couldn't last on the cross for more than a few hours. He died as a weakling. A normal man could have made it days with his execution. Jesus couldn't. He's weeping and crying, begging for the cross to be taken from him. Where's that, right, bold, declarative, right, bring it on, suffering of a martyr? He goes weeping to the cross. He's not defiant. He dies a very nondescript, quiet, and broken death of a common criminal. There's nothing special about his death. There was no crowds gathered He wasn't marked by anything. He didn't even have a grave ready for him. It was a selfless, broken act by God. But he was vindicated. It didn't end in his brokenness. In his resurrection, right, we have power. This is why Paul says, if not for the resurrection, we're the most pitied of people because we embrace suffering. But if it doesn't lead to a resurrection, what hope do we possibly have? But for Christ, he rose and he showed us power. In his death, he conquered it. And he rose glorious without blemish, securing for us a future, securing for us a reward. He embraced brokenness and suffering and secured the most glorious reward. So what is our hope in the face of the trials and the suffering of life? As Christians, what hope do we have? Life is suffering. We know that. The world knows that. That's just wisdom. Everyone will suffer. You either have, are, or will. I mean, suffering is going to happen to you. Where is your hope in the midst of suffering? Do we hope for them to end? Do we pray for our sufferings to end? Do we blame our circumstances? Have you given up hope and just stopped fighting against the suffering? This is the way of the sensible man. C.S. Lewis writes about in mere Christianity, saying, you just give up and embrace it and say, fine. Have you gone to great lengths in your life to protect yourself and your loved ones from suffering? Does the thought of your family suffering or going through hardship, right, cause you great anxiety and stress? Yeah, are you work, what are you working towards to protect 
people from suffering or to join them in their suffering? Have you gone to such lengths to avoid suffering or to not want suffering that you can't feel suffering? Have you become kind of Minnesota numb to suffering, right, where everything's fine, nothing's that bad, right, or kind of a Christian experience of suffering, right, where you're just like, eh, could be worse. And then you can't identify with, because here's the problem with that. I mean, there's wisdom in it. But then if it gets to the point where you can't identify with someone who is suffering because you couldn't think of suffering like they are, what's wrong with them? Why are they making such a big deal of this? Something's wrong with your heart. You've insulated yourself from the suffering of others. You think that suffering is bad. You think that suffering is something to be avoided or minimized or or just get over it. Can you not feel Or do you love to be a martyr? Or do you put your hope in suffering but don't understand why people aren't recognizing all the suffering you're going through all the time so you have to remind them continually because it gives you a sense of worth. It vindicates you. The book of Daniel and all of Scripture, the gospel is very clear to us. It tells the church, right? I mean, the the book of Daniel tells us this picture. It gives us a picture. Suffering is a part of life and it's coming for the saints, right? This is what it is. We live in a life of refinement. God is using it for our redemption. He's using it for our humbling. He is continually refining us. Praise God that he is, that he's never gonna be finished with me, that he's patient with me, that he's sculpting me. Praise God. I don't want him to be done with me. And so this life as a community is going to be a life of refinement and suffering. And we know from those last chapters, it's going to be intense suffering at times for the saints. But it's limited. God knows when it will end and there will be victory. But it's not going to be because of us. The victory won't come because how well we endure suffering or what we do in the face of it. That won't secure anything. The victory will be because of him and his work on our behalf. There's going to be a great triumphant victory, but it's not going to be won by us. It's a victory that's been won by him, and he will raise us up to march with him, to experience it, but we don't do the fighting. And in the meantime, as we wait for that day, right, we walk in wisdom as we wait. And Daniel's been really clear on this, telling us what it is that we're called to do as we wait for his victory, not ours. We believe. We're supposed to believe in him, have faith in him. We trust in him. We know that God knows us. We know that he knows us in our suffering. We know that he doesn't, right, he's not distant from us. We know that whatever suffering we encounter, because we don't know the reasons for all of our suffering. That would be foolish to be able to point to everything, right? There's suffering that's just, unjust. We can't always find cause, but we know that it's not because he doesn't love us. The fact that I suffer doesn't mean God doesn't love me. In fact, the opposite. Because I have a God who suffers with me. I have a God who entered into suffering so he could turn it into my glory. I believe in God in the midst of my suffering. We're called to resist the powers that are at work in this world. 
We're called to resist those temptations and the allure of power and security and sexual immorality, money, all of these things like George talked about in Revelation. We're called to resist this while we submit, while we love, while we trust God in the midst of our suffering, while we try not to get out of our suffering, we also resist these temptations and these, this evil that's at work in our present age. And we teach each other. We remind each other, as Paul would say, right? We speak the truth to one another. We raise our kids in this truth and this reality of who God is and what he's doing. Like Micah was saying, look, we model what it looks like to trust God in the midst of suffering. How are we going to suffer together? What does this look like? What wisdom do we have to offer? We don't have strength or power or some great system to give. But we have hope. So we teach of that hope. And then we pray together. That final piece in prayer seems to be so significant to the book of Daniel, so significant to all of Scripture. But we pray, we pray prophetically and powerfully. We weep and we seek after God in faith. We take heart and we're comforted because we know that we will never be abandoned because Christ was abandoned for us. I know that my prayers will always be answered because his prayers went unanswered on the cross. We have hope in the midst of suffering because he secured the glory that awaits us at the end. So as a church and as a community of God, right, we're called to have faith in God. This world is not our home. And we know that. We feel that. This world feels that. You don't have to be a Christian to feel this weird relationship to the world where you feel on the one level like you just love it and this is everything and you want it so badly and then feel so disconnected and dissatisfied and want to leave it. We know that we're in this place of exile. And that theme of exile runs throughout the scriptures and through the New Testament as well. The story of Daniel is our story. We have found ourselves in a place of a, that we didn't choose, doing things that we never thought we would do, living amongst people who are not our people, but who are called to love and care for. And we will endure hardship, but not alone, together and with Christ, who has endured our hardship before us and with us and has secured our eventual victory. We have such hope because of Christ, not because of how well we're going to endure the suffering, not because of how well we're going to resist or how well we're going to submit. Our hope is in Jesus and what he has done. And we know the ending of the story. And we know that the ending of the story is his victory, not mine. Which is a better ending. If it, it was if it was my victory. Which gives us hope in the meantime. So when the church comes together, we come together to pray and to sing songs, to teach one another of the truth of who God is and of this victory to come. Never stop telling these stories, right? The prophetic books and these images, this apocalyptic literature, you know, we're going to, it's been fun to go through Revelation and Daniel because it just captures our imagination in such a way, right? We need to be woken up sometimes and reminded this world is not about you. This world is not about me. We are part of a much bigger story with a, which a, much, with a much bigger hero who is going to win. And that winning, that victory comes through suffering and through death. And we get to participate in that with him. What grace and what love he's given. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your great love and mercy. Lord, we thank you that you were broken on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows pain and suffering, who entered into pain and suffering so that our pain and suffering will be used for our glory. You've taken away the sting of death. You've taken away every weapon that could possibly be used against us. Lord, we have nothing to fear because of you. Lord, we thank you for that victory that is to come. Lord, we thank you that you use suffering, that you use pain to humble and refine us. But Lord, while we are thankful that you do that, we are eager for it to stop. Lord, we see a lot of pain in this world and a lot of suffering in our own life, in the lives of our friends and our family, of our world. And Lord, we are desperate for your peace to reign in this world and for people to experience that peace and that hope. We thank you, Lord, that we can experience peace and hope now. But Lord, we we ask you to bring about true justice and change in this world, to bring about your shalom, to restore this world. Lord, please come back. Come back soon. Lord, we trust you and we know that your timing is perfect and we know that we can endure. Lord, we, we ask for you to come back soon. Lord, strengthen us as a church. Strengthen us to love one another. Strengthen us to love this world. Uh, Lord, strengthen us to endure suffering faithfully to be honest with ourselves and with each other, to share our suffering in community, to pray for one another, to pray for this world, to be tender-hearted, but also to be bold and confident, knowing the truth and knowing the ending of this story. Lord, strengthen us through the cross to put our hope and our faith and trust in you. In your name, amen.